Hey friends, we hope this message from C3 Fort Worth helps you see Jesus like never before. And if you're in or around Fort Worth, we'd love to meet you on a Sunday or at one of our weekly dinner parties. And let me pray over the word. I know I've already prayed like 17 times. I'll read Psalm 92 just to give it a little bit of a break. Psalm 92, and then we'll jump into uh, the message this morning. I'm just going to read the first four verses. First four verses of Psalm 92. Here we go. You ready? Okay, cool. I'll wait. Okay, no, I just want to make sure. You guys good? All right. It is good to praise Yahweh, to sing praise to your name, Most High to declare your faithful love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. With a 10-stringed harp, you got one? Anybody got one? Six-string harp, okay, cool. No, okay, that, I like that, I like that. With a six-string harp and the music of a lyre, anybody? Is that, was that, I don't know what that, uh, for you have made me rejoice, Lord, by what you have done. I will shout for joy because of the works of your hands. I know it's wild, but um, this happens on a pretty regular basis. And Bryce, in fact, Bryce had texted me Thursday, hey, which song do you want to end with? And I never actually gave you an answer, so you just picked one, which I appreciate. And, uh, but from the, from the jump, the, that second song and the third song, the, the faithfulness, which we just read about in Psalm 92, to, to great is our God and to praise is pour out our praise. These are all songs that you picked without my help, which is great. Good job. Well, way to go. You did a good job. Uh, and just wild how it coincides with our verse for this morning. I think it's really, really cool. Hey, let me pray. Lord, I thank you for today. And I do pray that, Holy Spirit, you would come now. And the words that I speak that you didn't want me to, I pray those would be forgotten. I pray the words that you intend to get into the heart of every person. Holy Spirit, take them there. I pray that we remember the things you want us to remember. I thank you that you are here to speak to our hearts. I pray that we live today out of our revelation of who Christ is. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you. You're good. Appreciate it. I, uh, if you don't know, just past, uh, just past this past Sunday, we started a, our summer in the Psalms. And we started uh, a two-month kind of journey through different psalms. Uh, we won't be reading all of the most important ones because we probably disagree on that. Uh, but we're, we're reading out of the lectionary, which is what I've been using since um, December of last year to preach through, which is basically uh, something that the church globally uh, has written a lectionary, and it gives you kind of assigned verses, assigned scriptures to read from and to teach from. And it goes according to the church calendar, another thing that I've never done until this year. And I've really enjoyed it uh, because it's pushed us into areas that maybe we haven't been before, talking about topics that maybe we haven't talked about before. And so we went through Advent. Uh, we went through Christmas time. Uh, don't tell your kids that Christmas is technically on the church calendar, 14 days, not just one. All right. We went through Epiphany, went through Lent, went through uh, Easter and Easter time. Again, that one is a, 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 a really a series of six weeks of Easter, um, and now we are in what they call ordinary time. I was talking about a message just a couple weeks ago called Not So Ordinary, because what we think is ordinary is not so ordinary. Just if you took, if you just thought about, I was driving down the street the other day with, with my boys, and they looked up and saw this massive cloud, and they started to ask me about that cloud, 
And I had no idea what to tell them, except that is pretty cool. Because the things that we see on a daily basis, even the things that we experience, even the things that we hold in our phone as we scroll through something and we talk to someone who is thousands of miles away or 100 miles away or whatever, it's not ordinary. And the church should not get settled into this space where we think things are just normal. But actually, normal for us should be a little bit different. It should be a little abnormal. It should be what your third grade teacher said it should be. Add a little extra to your ordinary, and you'll get extraordinary. And so we, was that weird? I'm sorry, I apologize, John. So the ordinary side of who we are, the ordinary time, it takes about 26 weeks of the church calendar, ends with Christ the King Sunday, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, as a reminder every year that no matter what you've been through, no matter what you've gone through, no matter what has happened, Christ is still King, and let's start this all over again. I mean, you know, that was appropriate last year after the elections. Christ is still king. I don't care what color you are. Christ is still king. Blue, red, purple, doesn't matter. Christ is still king. Empires rise, empires fall. God still reigns. Amen? And so, um, so we're in ordinary times. So what we decided to do over the summer is to go through Psalms. And we talked about this last week, that Psalm 1 is kind of the introduction I would highly recommend you going to our website, go to c34worth.com forward slash hub, and you will find our link to Summer in the Psalms. And it will have all kinds of resources, including a 90-day reading plan, a couple videos that give an amazing overview of what the Psalms really is. Uh, as we said last week, it is not just that book that you open middle of the Bible and point to when you need a good one, right? Uh, and then move a few chapters over when you've opened to the wrong one. You know what I'm talking about. And uh, it is that. It can be that. But the Psalms is an intentional, intentional, highly purposeful book where a people put together their, their praises and their prayers. And it became, in so many ways, a liturgy. Liturgy, the, the real common word for that, it just simply means the, the work of the people. That we have this liturgy. And I know that sometimes we use these words like liturgy and people go, well, I, you guys can't say liturgy. We're not that kind of church. Except that everybody has a liturgy. Right? If we didn't do three songs and only one, you'd be like, what's going on? Right? If we didn't do the announcements at a certain part of the service, you'd be like, what's happening? We all have something that we do together that gives us a semblance of unity and gives us a semblance of vision and purpose together. That the saints are gathered as one because the church is a, is a gathered body. And it always has been and nothing will ever change that. And so Psalms is this liturgy of exiles. David would have written many of them, but not all of them. He would have written many of them pre-temple, written them before the temple had been built, but he would have referenced a lot of that kind of God is going to make his home on the earth. And then you would have seen some written post-temple, which meant after the temple had been destroyed, there's, there's also uh, uh, psalms and songs and prayers written so that the people would have something to pray and say and sing, even in, the, in spite of all that had happened. In other words, this is meant to be a book that we carry with us Throughout our days, it was not accidentally put together. It was purposely put together to guide people who were longing for something better and wanting to express thanks for God in the midst of where we are. Amen? And so we all can identify. It's why the Psalms is so identifiable. We can read through it and go, oh, that was written for me. Because it is written by people that we might continue to extol and worship and praise God and yet understand the difficulties of some of our life. You know, there is lament and praise throughout the Psalms. 
In fact, you see it begin to tilt. Uh, It starts more heavily with lament and some praise. And by the end of it, especially the last five books, it's all praise. And so there's this kind of journey of healing and hope and life. And we read last week Psalm chapter 1. Anybody remember that? Blessed. The introduction to the book, which is Psalm 1 and 2. Somewhat anonymous authors, some think they know who it was. But Psalm 1 starts with the word blessed. And we'd love to make that a super spiritual word. Just like the word when Jesus begins to lay out the new look of the kingdom in the Sermon on the Mount. And he says what? Blessed are the poor in spirit. That word blessed is actually not as hyper spiritual as we like to make it. There are times where it is. And of course the context makes you understand where God is going with it or where Jesus is going with it. But the word blessed in the Psalms really does does mean that you're lucky. You are are blessed and lucky and and to be envied are you if you don't sit with mockers, right? Don't walk with sin, do all this, but dwell on the Lord. The teaching, the instruction of the Lord, you will be like a tree planted along the riverbank. You will bear fruit in season. There's something really powerful about understanding that the whole introduction to the book of Psalms, in fact, there's five books in the actual book of Psalms, one and two being kind of the introduction to all of them, blessed, lucky, to be envied are those who really do take this instruction and day and night meditate, or in other words, chew on this so that you really get it, that you really understand what it is and what it's saying, really begin to dwell on the instruction of the Lord. So that's where we are. I caught you up. I did my best. Psalm chapter 92. Psalm 92, I know I already read it. I'm going to hang out in one particular verse. I know there's more to Psalm 92, and you guys can read the rest. But Psalm 92, 1 through 4 is what's given to me. Psalm 92, it says, it is good to praise Yahweh. It is good. Everybody say, it is good. It is good to praise Yahweh. How many of you guys have some things that you would call good? How many of you guys would call air conditioning good? How many of you have ever been without air conditioning in your car? How many of you currently are without air conditioning in your car? We got a couple. All right, we got one. Bryce was, and I think he just bought a new one. So he's, he's, he knows it is good. It almost beckons me back to Genesis, right? That God created something and said, this is good. This is good. It is good to praise. It is good to praise. It is good to praise, to give thanks. It is a good thing to give praise. You know, I actually looked up the opposite of the word praise. Because if you... If you really begin to, I, I don't know about you guys, I'm a thesaurus and, and type of person. I love to see the synonyms of a word. Anybody else like synonyms? How about those antonyms? You guys good with those too? All right, the, the opposite of. And so what I'll usually, if I don't understand a word, I like to know what is opposite of it, right? So I, I will go and look up the, the antonyms. I just, I just looked it up. What is the opposite of praise? What is, what is it the other side of the thesaurus for praise? And these are the words that came up. You ready? Bitter. Enraged. Irritated. Exasperated. Offended. Uptight. Resentful. Heated. 
It's interesting to me. It is good to praise because it is really kind of bad to do all those things. I'm not saying that we don't have times in our life where those things are necessary to let some steam out. I'm just saying that to be in a constant state of one of those things would, would kind of be damaging to our soul. It, it would kind of come out in our speech, and it would probably cause us to treat people a certain way. It would probably cause us to, to talk to people in a certain way or to devalue people in a certain way. It is good to praise, to give thanks Now, this word good um, doesn't just mean like it's right, although it does mean that. It it is totally justifiable and right to give God praise. That's why Romans talks about it. It is a a reasonable service to give God praise, to live as living sacrifices. It is a reasonable thing for us to praise God. But it is not just appropriate. It is also meant to be enjoyable. It is good as in it is enjoyable. Yes, it's appropriate. You should because it's the right thing to do. But it is also meant to be an enjoyable experience. For us to praise God is meant to be enjoyable. It is meant to be something that brings us joy. And then I'll give you a third one. Okay, the third one is it's healthy. Praise, when pointed in the right direction, is health for your soul. In fact, you can find all over the place the science behind thanksgiving and how impactful it is for your body, how impactful it is. In fact, some of the leading kind of we're going to do life well type of people will tell you you should go to bed and and say three things you're thankful for. Every time you go to bed, say three things you're thankful for. Say say whatever it is, the fact that you made it through the day, right, The, the fact that you've got family or the fact that you've got great friends or the fact that you still have a job or the fact that you, you're, in, you have a, you're in the process of landing one or whatever it is. There are things to be thankful for at all times that we should wake up, go to bed thankful, and that thanksgiving actually does something physically in our body. That is, that is why the great commandment isn't just a love the Lord with your mind and your heart and leave your body to what it wants. The, 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 the spiritual life of a believer encapsulates all of those things. It is our mind, body, and will. And when we get those things in alignment, that is when our soul is most healthy. Because our soul is the combination of those things working together. And when they are not working together, they begin to disintegrate. They begin to pull apart, and you're you're trying to hold in one thing from another thing, and they're all drifting in different directions. So it is good, it is good to praise. It is good for us. It is enjoyable for us, and it is appropriate for us to give praise to Yahweh. Why is it so important? Well, I'll just, I'm just going to give you this one thought. The, the seat that is vacated by praise will be taken by pride. It is, it is so important for us to understand that a posture of praise keeps us from standing in pride, that we aren't people who are arrogant enough to think that we have it all together, that we understand everything, that we know all things, that we get all things, although that is kind of what culture is telling us, that everything that we filter through our own experience and our own mind is truth for us. But that isn't actually how it works. Because if I decided the lines on the street were only for you and not for me, then you and I would have something of a collision. And what happens in culture and what happens in life is when we decide that we are going to be the only bastion of truth for us, 
we end up colliding with other people who have also have the same kind of ideology. And so we collide into each other and we wonder why we're beginning to say things like, you're evil and I'm good, your side is bad and I'm good. Why we continue to villainize one another, it's because we are deciding what is true. And some of you guys, yeah, but Christians don't do that. No, Christians do that really good. That means we've become too far into one place where our relationship with Jesus has become an ideology. It's become this system rather than this person. See, the church is a, re- the, a people gathered over the, under the revelation of who Jesus is, period. And then we work ourselves out from there. We work out what community looks like from there. We work out what it means to do life from there. But it's all built on Jesus is the rock. He is the foundation. Upon this rock, I will build my church. That's where I start. And if I don't start there, then I will just be building my house on top of your house, and then we get mad at each other. The whole purpose of truth and grace, but the whole purpose of truth is to give us something that we can live for. And one of the great definitions of faithfulness is true. It will remain true. That when things shift and things change, you will remain true. And so truth is not just something to hold on to as as a right and wrong. Truth is something to hold on to because it will never move. And you can stand upon it. And you can live. That's why I love the scripture where Jesus begins to talk about you can build a house. Just build a house. As long as you build your house on the rock, build a house. What I love about that is he doesn't really tell us how many rooms it should have, like what color it should be painted. He doesn't do any of that. He, he kind of gives us the freedom to go, all right, as long as you start here. Because he understands that when we build our life upon him and upon our revelation of Christ, when we see Jesus, then, then we begin to understand what love looks like. Then we begin to understand what it really means to live in Christ is sacrificial love. To put ourselves upon a cross knowing that we live in resurrection life. Why is it good to praise? It's good for us to be people who understand that that there is something beyond us that can lead us. That we do not allow pride to be the thing that dictates who we are. In fact, I uh, I pulled together just a couple quotes um, none of them from John Mark Homer, for those of you guys who were really hoping. And none from William Barclay, so I'm really switching it up today. But James K.A. Smith, John Tyson's a good one. James K.A. Smith, in his book, You Are What You Love, one of my favorite books, says this, Worship works from the top down. You might say in worship, we don't just come to show God our devotion and give him our praise. We are called to worship because in this encounter, God remakes and molds us top down. Worship is the arena in which God recalibrates our hearts, reforms our desires, and rehabituates our loves. Worship isn't just something we do. It is where God does something to us. Worship is the heart of discipleship because it is the gymnasium in which God retrains our hearts. Kidner says this, giving thanks to God is more than right. It is also good. Good, no doubt, in the sense that in love he values it as he valued his creation, but also in the sense that it uplifts and liberates us. See, the opposite of praise, we end up in these places where we are the determining factor in what life should look like and what truth is and what direction we should take. And we begin to get upset. Have you ever been upset with yourself when you chose a direction you shouldn't have chosen? Yesterday I was um, trying to fix sprinklers in our because we redid the front of our yard, and uh, it was quite the ordeal, because I'm not much of a green thumb. I don't, I don't, 
don't do that stuff. And, um, and so we, we are redoing it, putting the pipes. And originally, somewhere along the way, we busted a pipe. But I didn't just bust one pipe, which is a pretty simple fix. I busted it at the T-joint. I, d- I busted it where I was going to have to maneuver three pipes into one place. So I went to the store. I went to Lowe's, and I got, I got what is cool now. Like, uh, you know you can do the glue. I did that for a summer where I laid sprinklers. And uh, actually, I did it for like a day, and then I was like, I'm out. And, uh, and I did the glue, and uh, I don't remember what happened. I don't know why I laid sprinklers that summer. Anyways, I did, and did it for a little while, and... and um, and, you know, you do the glue and you can do that. But they've got these new things where, where they're just like, they're, you can just push the pipe into it and it locks. Oh, it's brilliant. Except when you push the pipe into it, it locks. <laughs> and so if you don't do it exactly right, you're going back to Lowe's. And you're cutting some more pipe. So I'm going to Lowe's after this. Um, on the way home. Because I'm going out of town tomorrow. So I got to. I got to get that sorted. There's a hole in our. And, and, and sometimes when we get, when we become the only, we, when we are the only determining factor and YouTube hasn't given us the right way and I don't give the guy who knows what they're doing, right? I blame YouTube. And I didn't pay the guy to come fix it because uh, I can just do the push thing. And, uh, and then I find out in the process of doing that um, that I'm not a, as good at it as I think I am. And then what am I stuck with? I'm stuck with the mess I created that I now have to fix. And when we remove God from the equation, from, from the equation when, we, when we remove praise, and praise ultimately is the public proclamation of what God has done, when we remove that from our lives, when we remove that from culture, when we remove that from a body, what we end up doing is creating a mess, fixing a mess, creating another mess, fixing another mess, creating... Because we have become the only and sole uh, source of what truth is. And so the reason we keep praise on our lips is because it keeps us humble enough to listen and to hear. And because it lifts us rather than shrinks us. I found that people who really just think that they are everything get smaller and smaller with age. When they are the only ones who can speak to a problem, when they are the only ones who have a solution for the problem, when they are the only ones who have it, man, their world just gets smaller and smaller and smaller. I will tell you that praise and generosity tend to go hand in hand. Because praise has this idea that there's still more. Um, if you, you're outside of praise, you get into the scarcity mindset because now you are not only the source of truth, but you are also the source of all provision. We live in a culture, even though it's a culture of abundance, quite frankly, we have a lot more than a lot of people, we, we live with the mindset and the attitude of what? Scarcity. We live with a mindset, so we can't give and share and let ha- because we're worried that if I let go, then I'll lose. Praise keeps us uplifted, keeps our heart in a posture where we remember who is the God of all creation, who's made all things, and in that we begin to realize that there's never, there's never so much that we can give that we lose out. That's why, the, that's why Jesus tells us, that's why we talk about that, that, that you will have life and life to the full. I don't love that translation, and here's why. Because most of us think we have life and a lot of life to keep. But the, the better translation, abundance or overflowing, is this. Is that it will continue to spill, spill out and pour out, and you will never run out. And when you overflow something, how many of you have ever done that? Yeah, you overflow a little bit. Maybe some of you maybe did it with your coffee this morning. It never, it's weird, but it never goes back into the cup. 
It always spills out to whatever is around the cup. What if believers, what if people who follow Jesus, what if people who follow the liturgy of exiles realize that no matter where I am and no matter what I've gone through, no matter what I've struggled with, I have more than enough life to give because he has more than enough life to pour in. That I can overflow because I'll never run out. Because I'll have, and I mean, there's this, guys, I'm not even preaching the message. Okay, so there's a, there's a place where Jesus stands up in the middle of a festival and says, those who are thirsty, come to me and get a drink. And then he turns that drink, this is the, just the way he says it, come to me and drink and you will have rivers of living water. I've always thought the change from a drink of water to rivers of living water is a really wild picture. That Jesus is one who will pour out in abundance in such a way that what you thought was just a drink will now become a river for those around you. Relationships, workplace, on your street, in your arena of influence, in the places that you hold sway, in the places that you are able to lead, in the places you're able to serve, that you will have rivers of living water. That drink, that just that taste of how good he is will begin to turn into rivers of living water as we stay at the fountain, as we stay people who will give praise. It is good to praise. Now, there's one thing I didn't tell you, and there's one thing that I think is important. In Psalm 92, and this should be in most of your translations. If not, it's fine. You probably need to get a new one. No, I'm just joking. It's fine. In Psalm 92, at the beat, before it even starts the psalm, it says this. Before it even starts a psalm, it says this, a psalm, a song for the Sabbath day. A psalm or song for the Sabbath day. In fact, in the verse itself, in the chapter itself, it says something that we talked about even last week. To to declare your faithful love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. Some of you might have been reading the psalms so far this week. We just started last week. How many of you guys have tried to do, read it in the morning and read it at night? Anybody? It's okay. You can be proud of yourself. Well done. Well done. To read the psalm in the morning and to read the psalm at night. To wake up with his faithfulness and to go to bed with his faithfulness. To wake up with praise and to go to sleep with praise. To wake up with our eyes pointing towards heaven and to go to sleep looking upon Jesus. This is the only chapter in all of Psalms that has that distinction on it. Let this be a psalm for the Sabbath. Now, they're not just saying for your day off. What they're saying is when the people, because in in Eastern culture, in the Jewish tradition of that day, you would have gone on the Sabbath to the temple, but that's all you would have done. There's no work to be done, and and whether it be paid or unpaid, there's no work. Meredith and I try to do that. We're not always great at that, but we have one day in the week where we, even when it's like, we could go out there and do the sprinkler thing today. I'm like, babe, Sabbath. We have one day a week where we don't do work. We, we call it Family Friday. And we try as best we can. It's the, now, listen, the Sabbath is not a law to, to, to weigh you down. It is, it is a gift given to you. It is, it is for you. It is to serve man, not man serve it. In other words, you might get it wrong sometimes. But that's not some, like, strike against you. It is that you might come in and keep it holy, keep it separate, keep it something distinct. Make it part of your life. That, you, that work will not drive you all the time. That getting stuff done will not always be the end goal. That sometimes just being in the presence of those you love and being in the presence of God is all that matters. I think our culture could benefit from that. And so this is the only psalm out of 150 psalms that says on the Sabbath. So this, this idea of coming 
to church, coming to the temple. Now, they would have gone every day, but the Sabbath would have had a distinction around it because it would have been the day that God rested. Now, when did God rest in creation? At the beginning of the week or at the end of the week? I think you already answered. That's fine. At the end of the week, God created all things, said that it was good, and then he rested. And he put the same kind of ideal in our life, that we could work through the week, but there would be a day that we would stop and rest. And somewhere in history of the church, we've moved from a Saturday Sabbath to now we go to church on Sunday. But for many of us, this is the beginning of our week. We went out Friday, we hung out Saturday, and today's the day that we get ready for the week. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not telling you you should change that. Some of you will have your traditions, and it's good. John reads the newspaper every Sunday night, still like the actual newspaper, like you open it up and mess with it, and then it falls out. All that, The actual newspaper. Do you still do that? Oh, okay. Well, God bless you. Yeah, just, I shouldn't have asked the question. That was a bad question. And so you may have, but here's what the Sabbath would have been for the early church. Just like in Jewish tradition, you would have gone to bed believing that the, the evening when the sun was going down was the beginning of your day. You would start your day with a meal with your family. That's how you started your day. And then you went to sleep, and you woke up the next day and got on with it. You didn't wake up going, oh, okay, i got to figure it out, rushing through breakfast. getting. You went, you went to meal at 6 o'clock. You had a bite. That, the day was over. You are now starting into your next day, and you're starting it with the things that matter most. The Sabbath was similar in this, that the Sabbath was not the beginning of your week. The Sabbath was the end. The Sabbath was the end. So the Sabbath was the day that you would bring your praises. You would bring all that God had done. You would bring what you had worked through this week. You may have had a tough week, but you're going to bring your praises to the people, to the temple on the Sabbath day, and you would end your week with praise. The idea is that the church should be the place that we bring our praises. The church should be the place where we end the week in celebration for all that God had done, even in the weeks where it didn't go the way we expected. It is such an incredible thing to train our life and body and mind and spirit to end even in the bad days with praise. To end every week with praise. To end, so you can start your week tonight, 6 o'clock. You can do that. But today, bring your praise. When you, when you gather with the saints, bring your praise. When you come to church, bring your praise. When you come to, together with people, bring your praise. Let it be a place on the Sabbath where we rest in giving our praises. Now, the word praise and the word giving thanks, there's not a really a great way to translate it because for us, we could just say thanks, like thanks, I appreciate you doing that. Thanks, it was great. Thanks for opening the door. Thanks for, and it doesn't mean that we don't mean those things. It just means that, that, um, that we, we can say that word often. But the, the, the word used in that, that place of giving thanks was, was actually a very um, forceful word. It was actually meant to be something that really had some meaning behind it. So you could, in our language, maybe say something more like, really give thanks. Really praise. Really give him all that he does. Really praise God. Really give thanks. And watch as what is appropriate and what is enjoyable also becomes what is healthy. That your spirit, that your heart, that your mind begins to lift. Because what does what Paul, the Apostle Paul say? Think upon things that are 
praiseworthy. Think upon things that are righteous and good and beautiful. Think upon things that lift your heart and mind. And for many of us, for many of us, that is an exercise we need to do far more often because we have gotten, we, there, is, there is such a thing as bad praise. There is such a thing as praising the things that don't actually matter or actually don't build life. So, so there's one other word in this psalm that's really important. It is good to praise, yes. But let's be very clear. It is good to praise Yahweh. Not, not some other thing. It is good to praise Yahweh, the first commandment. Put no other gods before me. A better translation of that would be put no other gods beside me. We live as Christians oftentimes as schizophrenic believers. We, on Sunday, we love Jesus. On Monday, we love money. On Tuesday, we love whatever else it is. We, and so every day, we're changing who we are obeying, who we are praising, who we are lifting up. It is good to praise Yahweh. I am. There is none like him. And it, the, the interesting thing about Yahweh, anytime it's used in Scripture, it's relational. It's relational. It is good to praise the one who wants to be in relationship with you, but who created all the things. Who created all that we have and yet came into existence that you and I might know him. It is good to praise Yahweh. I am. I am the one above all things. The one that cannot be hemmed in by anything. The one that is present in all things. That God, it is good to praise him. Because he is coming close. He inhabits the praises of his people. So what does that look like for you? Well, it might mean that you need to read psalms. Because maybe you don't have the words every day. You wake up with a psalm. God, you're good. You're gracious. Greatly to be praised. The poetic uh, nature of this, that, that you've created the clouds, you've, you've split the mountains, you've split the, all the, retelling the story of the people of Israel. It might mean that legitimately every night before you go to bed, you write down three things that you're thankful for. I don't write them down, but I tend to on a pretty regular basis before I go to bed, I start saying what I'm thankful for. It usually starts with my wife and my kids. Points. Uh, it usually starts with, with, with the things that are closest to me. And it, and, it, and it just, it's wild. As you get into the habit of some things, they grow so comfortable that you can do it even more. So that then Saturday afternoon at the 2 o'clock, 2 o'clock when you're looking at the pipes you just cut in half and now have messed up again, you can still praise. Because you've created a posture of thanksgiving. You've created a posture of praise, a rhythm, a pattern of honoring God. And pride has left the building. And praise has filled our hearts. And we are a people who now look upon Jesus. And in looking upon Jesus, we look more and more and more like ourselves. Lord, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you've done. I thank you that today, as we praise, God, that we would begin to discover more and more of who you are. And in discovering more and more of who you are, we would discover more of who we are as people. God, I pray that our hearts would be full today. Maybe there's some of us in the room who found it very difficult recently to praise. 
very difficult recently to give thanks. And that's understandable. We all go through seasons and moments. We all go through difficulties. But if we can, if we can be those people who open up a book and read the poems, the songs, and prayers of a hundred generations of people who have longed for the coming kingdom and yet lived in the faithfulness of the king. If we can be people who understand that it is good to praise, to search out that which to be thankful for, that we would really praise God. And then when we come together on the Sabbath, when we come together as a people, we would bring our praises. Not looking just to start our week off the right way, but to end our week. We have made it through. We are here. Whatever shape we arrive, we've made it here. God has been gracious to me. And while I can't sing, my friends can my family can. The body of Christ can. When I can't lift my hands, this community can. When I'm frustrated, they're going to bring peace. And that in this place, when I lift my praises at whatever degree I can, God, you will fill that with your grace and peace. And you will bring health and life into my body. I wanted you to do something, and some of you, this may be a little bit uh, different, maybe abnormal. But I, I just fully believe that I'm not the only one speaking here. I fully believe that the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. And I want to make sure that we are people who learn to listen. Learn to listen. So that I just I want you to take 30 seconds. I just want you to ask this one question. Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to me? You may not get some voice that speaks up and yells it really loud. It might just be a just a nudge. It might just be a word that's brought to remembrance. It might just be a verse that's stuck out today. It might be an action that you go, I need to do that. Just ask, trust God that he wants to speak to you. Trust God that he is close to you. Trust God that, that he can speak to you the same way he speaks to anyone else that jumps up on this stage. Just take 30 seconds. Do that right now. Just ask, Holy Spirit, what would you say? What would you have me do with this today?